Shows taught me was not filmed before a live studio audience. Welcome back to Shit 90 Shows Taught Me. I'm Jess Sterling here with my co host Sarah Ferguson. Sarah, how are you? Good evening, sweet princess. <laughs> I'm, I'm here. It's gotten creepy already. <laughs> I've got my favorite dresses and I'm going to lure you into this alleyway. You gotta suck your blood. <laughs> if you couldn't tell already, or you didn't read the title of this podcast, we're going to be talking all things vampires, interview with the vampire, and we're not alone. We couldn't go through this alone because neither one of us has ever seen this movie, um, despite it being apparently a really big thing, a really big deal in the 90s. We'll find out because we brought on somebody who specially requested this movie, I believe, um, someone who I'm super, super excited to get on the podcast who I've talked to once before, but she's back. She's here. Sarah Carradine. Sarah, how are you? Say goodbye to the light. <laughs> I Like, who's the creepier vampire? <laughs> Listen, the thing is, is everyone in this movie is creepy. <laughs> yeah. That's the answer. The, the Sarahs are here to turn you into the uh, vampire because we yeah. never got the chance. Yeah, absolutely. So we're giving you the option Jessica, do you want to be a vampire? Um, yes no, or no? But I want to live. Oh. Uh, no, that's but, not uh, an option. Not no. An option. No. Yeah. no. I honestly we've think I'd rather you to die. the brink of death. <laughs> no, we've taken you to the brink of death, and now your choice is do you mm-hmm. want to truly die? Die the true death? Or will you say goodbye? I feel like it'd be better to die, right? Because vampires being immortal, like, I feel like being mortal is, like, not all it's cracked up to be. Because, like, imagine how many people, like, if you fell in love or something, you're just constantly watching people you fall in love with die. Um, And on top of that, like, who wants to... Okay, first of all, Lestat drinking... No, it wasn't Lestat, it was Louis, who drinks all the, like, rat blood and stuff. Like, count me out of that. Poor poodles, by the way. (laughs) Yeah, the poodles need um, special treatment after oh this gosh. movie. Yeah, justice for the poodles. Yes. Yeah, and then you can have vampire poodles. So, oh, that would be fun. That actually, can you imagine <laughs> little fangs on them? That would be so okay. fun. 
Um, I totally can. So, Sarah, tell us about your memories of this movie because this came out in '94. So, did did you see this movie like when it came out, or is this? Oh, yes, 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 yes. yes. I was reflecting the other day that I saw sort of a lot of movies that are canon from the '70s, '80s, and '90s when they actually came out, like before anybody knew what the twist was or what Mm. the answer was and before they became, you know, known. So that a lot of people now can't watch the movie without the baggage that comes with it, except for you two with Interview with the Vampire. I don't know how much you knew about it before. But I saw it in 1994. I was uh, 34 years old at the time. I was working for uh, Opera Australia as a director so I was kind of in that whole world of, mm. of frocks and wigs and makeup and things. And um, for us, you know, as for Anne Rice, Tom Cruise was a terrible, terrible piece of casting. Like we couldn't believe when we heard <laughs> that he was going to be Lestat. Yeah. Um, and I, I have to say, I mean, I'm not a Tom fan, but I am a huge fan of him in this movie. Interesting. So have you ever read, because I, I didn't even realize until I started looking at like the trivia that it was based on a novel. Did you ever read Anne Rice's novel? I didn't read the novels, uh, not because I was anti the novels. I just never read them. Mm-hmm. Um, but she had some very interesting ideas for uh, who should pay Lestard. When she was writing the novel, she was thinking of Rutger Hauer. And Rutger Hauer a German actor. is absolutely stunning, icy, Germanic, mm-hmm. um, you'll know him from Blade Runner, you know, um, t- like Tears in Rain's Time to Die. So he's also got that that great mm-hmm. sort of darkness to him. But I was also reading he, she wanted, and I didn't realise this, she wanted Alain Delon. Alain Delon is a French sort of new mm-hmm. wave um, actor that we were all sort of madly in love with in the 80s <laughs> and would sort of flock to um, art house films and watch French films in subtitles and go out and smoke all and think that we were kind of incredibly cool. <laughs> um, and then she wanted Julian Sands. And Julian Sands is an interesting, he's like an English Rutger Hauer. He's a very chiselled, handsome, blonde, uh, pale man. Mm-hmm. Um, but, of course, all of them had aged out by the time it came to casting this one. Um, and... Again, Daniel Day-Lewis is what the uh, what uh, who Neil Jordan wanted, and and in fact he was going to do uh, the film until apparently just mm-hmm. before it started. Then he dropped out. Um, wow! And then they offered it to Johnny Depp. Oh mm-hmm. my! Of course, yes. I feel like every single thing I ever read about anything, it's like first they offered it to Johnny Depp. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Johnny Depp is like very picky. He's like, no, <laughs> it's like he only he only chooses like very specific things. Yeah, he has all the yeses for um for what's it? Creepo, Mister Creepo. Oh, what's Burton, Tim, Tim Burton. Burton. It's like Tim Burton's like Johnny Depp. Let's do this like, like yes, thing, instantly. and it's like, yeah, no problem, bro. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so then how did we come to Tom Cruise? Uh, unknown, but we did. And everybody we thought did, Neil, yeah. J- Neil Jordan was completely mad. And it turned out not so much. So it's very hard for, I think, us now or listeners now or the youth of today when, we, when they think about t- Tom Cruise and his uh, Scientology mm-hmm. and his thoughts and feelings and his kind of 
you know, perfect rigidity of acting with the action uh, heroes that he plays, mm-hmm. it's really hard to imagine him saying yes to this intensely erotic two hours of bisexuality, yes. homosexuality, bestiality, gorgeous, just seductive, sensuous eroticism. And he does it so completely um, mm-hmm. uh, that now we can't think of Lestard without thinking of him, mm-hmm. both in his beautiful youth, his beautiful eternal youth, and his varying stages of uh, decrepitude, let us say. Yeah, yeah, every time I was saying this to Sarah, every single time I thought that Lestat was finally done in this movie, it was like, nope, he's back again. Nope, he's back again. I was like, of course. I mean, it's it's Tom Cruise. So, like, you know he's going to be a major part of the film, obviously, right? Like, you know he's going to be in the most of the movie. But then when they actually, like, set him on fire, I thought, oh, okay, he's dead. You know, that's it. Put him in a river with some alligators. See you later. Um, but yeah, like this movie was super interesting. But it was actually see you later to the alligators. I know. That's how he, that's how he <laughs> revived himself. Yeah. Yeah. But at that, I mean, at that time that the film came out, you could have easily believed that he would die at any point in the, in the movie. Um, it's just that now we think, oh, Tom Cruise, no, he's not going to die. But then, yeah. You know, I mean, at that point he already was in risky business. Mm-hmm. So that was big I believe like he was already in um uh the outsiders top gun so I mean he was probably like an up-and-coming name in Hollywood oh very much so and don't forget he'd also done days of thunder with our knickers um he saw Nicole Kidman in a film called dead calm uh, which is a very creepy three people stranded on a boat in uh calm water it's a sort of it's a horror he'd seen her in that film and he said get her for days of thunder and mm. he got her for days of thunder and he got her as, as his, a wife as a wife oh yeah yep and they went on to do far and away together as well with yeah you know some sort adopted of adopted kids adopted kids did you, did you yeah did you remember that jess that nicole kidman and tom cruise have kids no like together nope, nope. They have, they adopted two children. I honestly don't think I knew that. The only thing I know is like there's the Nicole Kidman, like Keith Urban thing, which I knew. Yeah. And then she gave birth to children. But yeah, like that, she adopted children with Tom Cruise. They're adults now. Interesting. Mm-hmm. And they're um, in the, they're in Scientology, Bella and um, Connor. Oh my gosh. But yeah, there's yeah. like, there's way more famous faces in this movie than I would have expected, to be honest, because again, like this is just not a movie that was ever on my radar. I'm not really into scary movies, not really into horror in general. Um, I know vampires had like a big thing, right? I'm thinking like during the twilight time and all of that, like vampires mm-hmm. really came on strong. But this is just not a movie I ever saw. And so then all of a sudden I see Brad Pitt and Tom Cruise and Antonio Banderas shows up. And like Kristen Dunst is in this as an itty bitty little baby. (laughs) Stephen Ray, who's a fantastic Irish actor that's worked with Neil Jordan a lot, both in drama and comedy. He's um, Santiago. He's absolutely fantastic. Tandy Newton, Australia's own Tandy Newton, is the uh, one of the house yes. uh, servants. Yes, uh, I Thandui. No, what it? Yvette, Yvette. I think is her name. Um, yes, Yvette, yes. I saw her and I was like, wait a minute. 
that's the woman from Westworld. Like immediately I was like, I know her, but she obviously looks like a a lot younger. Um, Yeah. But yeah, like. We were all a lot younger in 1994. (laughs) I can tell you that. And then of course Christian Slater. But yeah, the, and Kristen Dunst too, like. Honestly, I think she impressed me most just given her age in the film that I was like, every time she was on screen, she was popping for me. I was interested to see what she would do next. You know, Claudia, I just think it's like a fascinating character given that she's a child when she's turned um, and she doesn't ever get the the maturity to be able to, to handle it. Right. You know, she does. She does these like evil manipulative things, which I was like very into. I was like, get it, Claudia, like ruin Lestat's <laughs> life, please. <laughs> She um, she was 12. This is her first on-screen kiss with Brad Pitt. She said it was yucky. I mean, yeah, she's 12. Mm-hmm. Gross. <laughs> she said he had cooties. Yeah. She didn't want to kiss him. <laughs> no, the um, this was very, like you said it earlier, like this was a very like sexually charged film. Like there's so much going mm-hmm. on with it right between like Lestat and Louis and just how they turn these vampires and like how sexual it is. I don't know that I was ready for that either. Like um Sarah, were you not completely baffled when I think it was Louis started like straight up munching on some girl's lips. I was like, "What? Is it like he he got blood from her from her lips?" I'm like, is that really, like, fattiest part of her body to, like... <laughs> I mean, for me, that didn't stand out. The the the, the breasts. Oh, the, yeah. Was- the, the focusing and the sucking on the breasts was the thing that was like, okay, so that's where we're taking blood out now. No problem. Sounds good to me. Um, so, no, like, I mean, for me, like, at times it felt, like, super progressive because... Especially when Louis and Lestat were um, brought on Claudia and they were like, we're going to go forward as a family. So you're saying in 1994, we're going to have Lestat and Louis like show as like a gay couple with a child, like with a young girl. Fabulous. Amazing. I was like, that's like so interesting that they're like going forward with that. And they called themselves a family, a family unit. And they were like, we are your dads. And I was like. Full on. Love this for you, um, Louis and Lestat. Like, obviously, two totally different mentors in young Claudia's life. Um, Very different types of father figures and mentor figures. But I thought that was incredibly interesting. What do you like? How did you um, like back in in the 90s? How did you? Like interpret that, Sarah. So last century, um, <laughs> and you got to think that um, Bill Clinton was your president uh, at the time, mm-hmm. um, and uh, Neil Jordan's from um, Ireland. There's, uh, there wasn't. There, I'm trying to be very tactful here, but there's a conservatism that has. Um, Blossomed in the uh, late twenty in the early twenty first century, both uh, in both of our countries, where in the eighties and nineties all kinds of shit happened, and nobody, you know, yeah. turned a hair particularly. Um, and it's interesting, Jess, that you call this a horror film because, in a way, it's not a horror film. I mean, there are slightly scary moments and a couple of sort of jump moments, but it's really this erotic tale of existential dread and uh the turning of of time there's there's all kinds of things which i absolutely loved and 
Neil Jordan, who has been married to two women, uh, works a lot in the queer uh, space. He did The Crying Game famously, but he also did um, Breakfast on Pluto. And there's a fluidity to his works and there's a fluidity to actors like Stephen Ray, not necessarily a sexual or a gender fluidity, but like a total fluidity of how they can move from comedy to drama, from um, sexy to Mm -hmm. not sexy, from gay to queer to straight to non-binary to whatever. It's a very European sensibility, I think, and it's very interesting that that, um, that Anne Rice thought of Alain Delon because I don't know if you know him, but when you see him, he is a very beautiful man. And the new wave had that, the actors of the new wave had that fluidity. I mean, they were um, generally heterosexual, but there was a, a an Alain to them, you know, that they had. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. so that is brought to these um, American actors and to Brad and Tom's complete credit, they inhabited that milieu yeah. very well. Um, and you think about young Louis, he's a Creole, apparently. Um, so he's growing up in a pre-American world. Um, he was an owner of a plantation. Yeah. Yeah, 1791 is the year I'm seeing online in Spanish Louisiana. Um, Yeah. So he was 24 in 1791. So um, obviously 1776. So he was born pre-America, like the Declaration of Independence. But yeah, he was growing up in the South. Obviously, he owned slaves. Yeah, we see them. He set set his slaves free in one point. Because, I mean, they were, like, terrified of him. He was like, I'm a monster. Please go. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't think he was emancipating them because it was the right thing to do. I oh, no. No. <laughs> I don't think <laughs> Louis was thinking about that. <laughs> he was bit. thinking about, yeah, his um, his kind of existential torture. Um, and, and the interesting, like, relation, I mean, we're sort of jumping, well, I'm jumping around here because I tend to do this. But when we get to Paris, and it really is Paris, mm-hmm. um, and that's one thing that, that films of the, you know, the 70s, 80s and 90s did was they actually went to the places. So it wasn't Toronto for San Francisco. I was just going to say it's always like Vancouver, Toronto. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, in Prague for absolutely any European city, but Prague only looks like Prague. Um, But sorry, not to sound incredibly snobby, but I don't mean that. I mean, there's a there's a taste and a smell and a feel, you know, architecturally, even if you haven't been to a place, you recognise it as a very particular place. So the scenes in Paris are incredible um, and they all did go there. So it gives that feel, that very, it is a very, the sensuality of it, the feeling of it, the grit of it, the age mm-hmm. of it. Um, and when you're talking about immortals who who feel the weight of years, it's fantastic to go to an old city that has this weight of years yeah. um, on it. And then he finds Lestard's maker or lover or partner or boyfriend or ex or whatever and is wanted by him. So it's this sort of circular Yeah, Louis just always seems to be coveted by somebody he's just forever coveted and the poor guy like the thing is is I really really liked Louis as a character I mean like I felt for him right because Lestat is just shown as this kind of like sociopathic monster and then you have poor Louis who you know his wife and his unborn child had died so he's pretty traumatized by that like he doesn't even really have like a will to live um, he becomes this vampire and literally like feels like he can't die 
but he doesn't want to take others lives right like he's uncomfortable with the idea of um sucking blood to the point where he's like drinking rat blood drinking dog blood like whatever he can to basically avoid um taking from humans and then like I don't know I really enjoyed um Louis and Claudia like as a pair in their relationship and kind of just how like he took on that parenting role um but I think I don't know I'm curious what we all think like would have happened with Claudia and Louis had Lestat not been around as like the other parental figure because even though she still has the maturity of what a 10 year old or whatever age she is when she turns I feel like she'd probably be a little bit more well adjusted if Lestat wasn't around like spoiling her and basically teaching her pretty awful things (laughs) um all around I think that Claudia had it in her from the very beginning. Like, it didn't really take much pushing from Lestat for her to become this, like, mass murderer. Um, For me, I kind of enjoyed Lestat and Claudia's relationship more. I thought there was times where it was absolutely hilarious. Like, for example, my favorite part in the entire movie was when Claudia was getting her dress hemmed and then she killed her seamstress and Lestat was like well guess who's gonna do your dress now okay who who's gonna finish it I thought that was so funny like I loved it and I love like also when like (laughs) like when like he she killed like her piano teacher and he was like oh like not in the house (laughs) like like I just thought she'd spilled juice or good Yeah. yeah like it was so it was so funny but I mean I don't I mean so like this little girl if you think about it they found her and she was hanging on to the arm of her very dilapidated disintegrated mm-hmm. mother this girl was already fucked up like you know who knows how long her mom was dead but like she's been watching the plague yeah go down killing her friends killing her family killing the neighbors her mom died and she's like clinging and has been there like for weeks who who even knows so i think that she was already a little bit messed up and i think that she didn't need too much of a push for lestat to be like you want to be a mass murderer with me and she's like yeah let's do it (laughs) yeah she's 12 I mean, this is an extraordinary performance, like for any actor, but you would say this 12-year-old, like Kiki Dunst, right? She's 12. She has to, uh, her parents wouldn't let her see the film, by the way. They thought it was too scary for her. But she has to be this child, this precocious child. She screams, she stamps, she's, you know, she surely temples her way around. And towards the end of the film, when she is now, is 30 years later, she's now 40 or 45 in terms of, you know, the, the number of years that she's lived. There is, she managed, this small actor manages to, I mean, greatly helped by Sandy Powell, the costume designer, who now puts her into miniature adults clothes mm-hmm. and the hair is up and the, and the muff jewelry. i loved the muff that she had in that one scene just like yes i completely agree the costumes were amazing yeah she she manages to to have this age on her <clears throat> plus the age of you know the, the weight of being immortal the weight of kind of hanging around <clears throat> louis who's no fun uh we don't quite know ever this is a bit naughty of me to say but we don't know why ever if Louis's so worried about all that, just go out in the sun and die. 
he has that available to him. So I like that um, ambiguity that he says he can't live like that, but he is also not prepared to die. He's not prepared to give up his immortality. Um, And he commits the one sin of a vampire to kill your own kind. And he certainly does that in a spectacular fashion in the catacombs in Paris. And then that wonderful section of the film, it's a quieter section, but it's one of my favourites, where the years are turning mm-hmm. and we see him from age to age. And I love the films that he watches. He watches Nosferatu, um, and obviously that's not a mistake. Nosferatu also has the ambiguity of the immortal. It's only later in Twilight that it's all fun and games mm-hmm. to be a vampire. Um and he, well, then we see him coming out of Tequila Sunrise, which is also a movie that I watched at the time. So that's kind of very amusing. Um, wanting to fit in, not being able to fit in, stalking humans, because after yeah. he makes the companion for Claudia, he says, it, that was the last moment of my humanity uh, dying. So, and he's so lovely to look at we kind of sit with him through his gloom and doom um i mean thelma and louise thought he was absolutely gorgeous as well um so much so that you know he stole all their money so that was his kind of breakout role that we remember him from um i'm going all over the place now um what i wanted to talk about was this idea of the darkness within vampires and the complexity being simplified um i mean i love buffy but there's a simplification there about vampires and then twilight um i have some objections to you know i can't penetrate you or i will kill you it's all very repressive sexuality there um but it's this sort of sparkly uh vampire i like my vampires a bit reeking of something um i like a dirtier vampire if you know what i mean Mm -hmm. Yeah, I Mm -hmm. think this still has that, like, sexual quality, but obviously the exact opposite of repression, right? Um, I I really like the the way the visual of the vampires in this movie, right? Like, they are very, obviously, pallid, very pale. Um, I mean, I can only imagine how uncomfortable those contacts were, but they all have, like, the very light eyes. Um, And they all have this, like, I don't know, every single vampire we see just has this gorgeous head of hair, whether it be Claudia with her curly locks that she, you know, tries to cut off and won't stay off. Or, you know, you have Brad Pitt and Tom Cruise with their very long, like, luscious hair. Um, I just like the, like, how, like, regal almost they look. But at the same time, it is a very, like, visually dark movie in that you could tell, like, they're just, they're all very sad people, um, with the exception of maybe Lestat, who I feel just, like, revels in in the chaos and the blood and the gore and the and all of that. Um, I, I, I think I, I like Louis more just because he is kind of like a, a self-hating vampire, right? Like, he, he hates this. He doesn't want to do any of this, which is how I feel most people would probably react to being turned into a vampire, um, not wanting to kill, not wanting to harm people. Um, really just having I, I feel like he's just had this grief and this dread following him since the death of his wife and unborn child right he tries to replace that by hooking up with Lestat and then turning Claudia and having his own little family um, but yeah I think like it's interesting the differences in different the way different films portray vampires and this being a very like mm-hmm. sexually charged emotional dark version of vampires and like 
Right. Even Armand, who were like, oh, great. okay, he's going to be buddies with Louis. He's going to like hang out with him. No, immediately we're going to like take these people. We're going to kill off Claudia and her new uh, person that's watching over her. And so we can have Louis all to himself. Um, I don't know. I just Sarah, you didn't. I, I just feel like I like felt for Louis the most out of all of the characters. Just his his journey felt very like real and sad. The thing about Louis is that the more he complained, the less I liked him. (laughs) He just became like very like sad sack. And it's just like, I get it. Like you're like, you know, you're angsty. (laughs) But it got to a point where like, I don't know, like when uh, he started like sulking on the balcony towards the end, right before they got snatched, I was like, dude. You know, you just gotta, you just gotta let it go. Like it's, it's, it's okay. Like okay, so like for me, there's like different sections of this movie. There's the first section where it's like Lestat and Louis are on their own, and I call this like the dude frat bro situation. Hated it when they were frat bros because they would go around and hook up with women and like kill people. I was like, I don't like these douchey bros. Then we have the family. And I feel like this was like the best part when he was like all happy and he was like Claudia's like dad. And we got like all the like clothing. And then we have like the third part where he gets like really doomy and gloomy. And he's just like, I don't know. He just becomes like. A real wet yeah. blanket. Very well is me. <laughs> yeah, like so pretty, like, so yeah. pretty, and that flowing, the flowing blonde hair, Gorgeous. the pouty lips, mm. like just pout, 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 <laughs> because that's all he knows how to do. Um, like I feel like he was happy to go to Paris, but like I feel like Paris was no good for him. Like what? Like the whole point of looking his whole thing was like i want to know the reason to like be a vampire like i want to know like my purpose it's like there's no purpose there's no purpose like you have to let this go because he's like and then he like he's like you know like lestat never told me what my purpose was like never told me like i'm like upset with him because like he didn't teach me anything and then he like is they're on the hunt for vampires where do you think this is going to wind up louie like there's no like when you meet others like you you're not gonna have like a bait like a club like this is not gonna be like the women's club of transylvania like you're doomed yeah. dude it's you're interesting doomed. that louis thinks that like the other vampires out in the world right that's why he travels so much is to find other vampires it's interesting that he thinks that like they're more likely to be like him and less like lestat at least you'd assume that because he's looking for them and he didn't like lestat so you'd think he thinks that they're going to be more merciful but like if they're alive louis they're drinking blood like they're probably not merciful <laughs> and you know we know we know Lestat does have a, a big thing about that he wasn't given the choice so his his moral point is that he will always give people the choice before he turns them and other than that it's it's he enjoys his non-life as a vampire um Yes, and it's true. Louis searched. Louis um, two hundred years younger than than uh, Lestat. He feels what's the purpose? There's this seeking. There's this journeying. Um, 
Armand sees him as the vampire from the new world. Uh, Armand is sort of, he's even older again. Um, he's sick of, he's the oldest vampire that he knows. So presumably there comes a moment in a vampire's life where they will step into the light uh, just to just to mm-hmm. finish their existence. And he sees Louis as this, you know, the new world, the new, the new hope, I suppose. I mean, everybody puts whatever they want onto Louis. And in that, I feel he's a really successful character and a very successful performance from Brad Pitt because it's whatever you want Louis to be is, is who Louis is. And even Christian Slater sees him as this kind of um, exciting, interesting person that he sees in, a, in an alleyway and follows up to an apartment. So there's a sort mm-hmm. of beat there as well there's a kind of uh, gay undertone there that you are in San Francisco and you see a man across the street in an alley and you follow them up to their room that's a very beat kind of behavior Um, but in fact he wants to record him um, for his own purposes Um, and then is very excited about becoming a man he hears Louis's story and then he wants to become a vampire. Who, who thinks that? <laughs> it's, yeah. I mean, especially because Louis, like you said, Sarah, he's such a sad sack. Like, who hears that story and is like, this sounds like the life for me. Like, absolutely not. So this is kind of what my, kind of my biggest question of this movie. We learn early on that everybody has their own abilities, their own special talents, which is kind of carries around in Twilight as well. Like, you know, so... Um, so Lestat can read minds, which we know that Louis can't do because he tried and he can't do it. Right. Um, so what is, what is, and and like that one guy, Santiago, he like pops around and he's like trickery. So what is Louis's special talent? And does it have to do with his charisma? Like, does it have to do with, like, sucking people in? Is it the fact that he still keeps his, like, human side to him? Like, what is his special talent? That's a really good point. And I and I think, um, I mean, I absolutely love this movie. But were I to turn my, you know, critical eye on it, I would say that there's not, there's no plot. Uh, sorry, everybody, if you haven't seen it. There's actually no plot. Uh, it's a series of things that happen to this yeah. person. And I don't mind that kind of movie at all, and particularly when it's so skillfully done and so beautiful and the set decorator is um, someone famous whose name just escapes me, uh, Dante Ferretti, who did Sweeney Todd, he did Shutter Island, he did Gangs of New York, he did Age of Innocence. So he, he is incredibly skillful. And in fact, worked with um, Sandy Powell, the costume designer, on a couple of things um, as well. So they they have a, a sort of working partnership that you can see the integration of both these designs. Sorry, off on another tangent here. Um, and I love Neil Jordan, but the thing is, it's it, there are things that are brought up and dropped and things that, and, and I think the different um, skills that everybody has is brought up dropped and then we see it when we go to the when we go to Paris and we see that Armand can presumably almost hypnotize somebody one of my favorite scenes is the vampire theater because that tension that we know they actually are vampires and the audience doesn't and the girl that comes on they think is an actor and is is of course a sacrifice and she becomes mesmerized by by Armand so I like that it's a it's a a point that's picked up dropped and picked up again when it's um when it's uh, uh convenient 
Um, and it's the same for some of the themes I picked up and dropped um, in the early frat. I love the idea of the frat boys in the uh, in the Louisiana um, Hacienda mansion, Hacienda, whatever it's called. Um, that um, we just they jump from one part of their relationship to another. Mm-hmm. We don't see the connecting scenes. I actually really like that. I think that's that's a really assured filmmaker that says, yeah, you'll come with me. I don't have to show you the intervening argument. I can show you them uh, very sort of sexually bound and then I can show you them um, annoyed with each other. I don't have to show you all the little steps in between. It kind of reads as a book. So obviously this is a book by Anne Rice and Anne Rice wrote the screenplay. So it almost is like it's reading as a book. Like chapters. Like you're getting like... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If it's feeling like chapters. Yeah. Um, and I love that they start. I, I like that. I love when movies start like at the end, if that makes. So he starts with like, and this is my story. And we're going back and we're recounting the time. Because like you were saying, Sarah, it, it is book like. Um, and I feel like it's really successful in that way. That there are these separate chapters of the movie. That even if there isn't like necessarily a plot, which you can feel. It feels a bit wandery at times. Um, it's still interesting to watch. And you're oh, yeah. like, what's going to uh, uh, happen? When yeah. is Lestat going to pop up again? <laughs> and when does he? He, ne- <laughs> he never <laughs> dies. Like every single time I thought he was dead. And then when I, especially mm-hmm. then he's in the chair and he swivels around and like him. And this is like very right. We see a helicopter. So we're like, oh, wow. Time has passed. And we see him in the chair and he just looks awful because he obviously is too weak to do anything. And I'm like, oh, okay, now he's actually going to die. <laughs> nope. <laughs> nope. No. So, yeah, like, uh, I I guess, like, he, yeah, actually, he was, it's interesting because, like, he gave Louis such a hard time of living off rats his entire, like, in the early days. But that's how he was su- surviving yeah. for all those years. He, like, kind of degrades himself down to, like, the low levels of what he perceived Louis to do. Like, he was, he would shit on Louis all damn day mm-hmm. about, like, you're pathetic. You just eat rats and chickens. Like, you're not, like, a man. Like, you're not going to, like, do the deed. And, like, when he saw Claudia, who is, like, slitting like throats like he was like yes like this is my prodigy but like then like for him to like go so low and actually be like living off rats for like decades and decades I thought that was like kind of like a full circle moment I don't exactly know how he okay well hold on like without like burying the lead too much like talk about like probably the best ending to a movie like ever I love the ending. Like, I think that probably, like, the ending is the best part of the movie. Not because it was ending. Like, I'm not trying to be fresh, which is, like, a joke that I've made before. (laughs) But um, just, like, I think it's just, like, was such a good twist. Because we get, like, the reporter, like, Malloy, like, running out of there after um, Louis, like, threatens him. And we, he starts playing the tape. And then you're, like... There's no way his voice is actually going to show up on the tape. Like, obviously, he got erased. No, his voice is on the tape. Then he's listening to it. And it's like, okay, there's no way he's going to be able to escape and, like, get out of this. Like, okay. And then, like, someone attacks him. And you're like, oh, okay. So I guess Louis 
Hell no. It's Lestat. He pops into the convertible. How'd he do it? I don't know. But he's there. And he, like, you know, gives him the choice that he was never given, which is, like, it's it's almost like it's not a choice. He's fully intentionally doing this to people to manipulate them into being his companion. And it is dark and is twisted. And then they play that Rolling Stones song and it's rock and roll. It's like freaking awesome. It's like really cool. I'm so happy that you like the ending. I just watching it again, I, I was just was like, so I was excited as that first time in the cinema seeing it. And you know, that wonderful thing of, oh, Lestat can drive. Okay, great. Because he can, of course he can. How can he drive? He just knows how to he drive. He shouldn't be he able to can. drive. Was, yeah. well, was he faking it? Like, was he faking like being all weak? Like, I don't. No, because like, that he didn't even know what a helicopter passed. was. But time has passed between when Louis last saw him and this time. Oh, so right. even though it's a modern time, where now you know he's been slowly, you know, getting his um his right. I think right. it's so it's nineteen eighty. So we saw him in, in it was eighty eight when he and then, when he went to New Orleans and when he was like really weak and living by himself. And then I presume it was ninety four. I at least I presume it was ninety three, ninety four, when mm-hmm. he's meeting with Malloy. That yeah. makes okay. That makes yeah. sense. So then it's like it's almost like okay. So Louis left Lestat like that, hanging high and dry. I'm sure Lestat thought that he was coming back to see him in a way. And then it's like that was his motivator to get off his decrepit chair. And yeah. like, how obsessed are you with Louis that you have to hunt him down like that? And the funny because this is the Golden Gate Bridge. Like, not New Orleans. So he had to travel to get here. He had to find yeah. him. And the funny thing, the best part about this whole Lestat turning Malloy or, like, giving Malloy the choice, right, is we see Malloy, like, want to be Louis's companion. It seems like everybody wants to be Louis's companion. Lestat, Armand, um, and Malloy. But, like, but, Claudia. and Claudia. But, like, Louis isn't interested in that really right he doesn't want to turn people he wants companionship but he doesn't want to have to turn these people into what he views as a very awful hard thing to go through a hard life to live um and meanwhile Lestat's turning people left and right but like he is not the companion you should want like he obviously is not a very good mentor of new vampires unless you're another dude bro frat guy (laughs) And then and he's all about it. I mean, if there's two Lestats, then they're having a good day all I day. I feel like there'd be an ego fight, though. It no, like Lestat has a massive ego. He wants like all the attention. Absolutely. He's he can't fun. even share it with a 12-year-old girl. Exactly. I mean, it's interesting that idea of companionship that, that runs all the way through. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Armand has a boy who is not turned, who is a human, who is kept alive for them to, yes, to so drink. Is- so that, that's part of the mythology too. as well, that you can just have a person that you just sip on because, uh, you know, you're not. I love the greed. Sorry, just jumping again. I love the greed when Kiki first gets turned and she drinks the blood and she's so greedy for it. She sort of almost scares Lestat. Um, and the companionship, she wants someone, so she asks Louis to turn the woman for her, the woman who had the missing daughter. So, again, um, that family idea. Um, and that was an image that, that stuck with me so much was the death of these two women. It was awful. Enfolded in each other's arms. Yeah. That was really, I think probably one of the hardest parts because again, I, I thought Kirsten Dunst was so wonderful as Claudia. Like 
any of the emotional scenes she had right when she's confronting Lestat about who turned me did you do that who did this to me you know like how did I end up like this she's so angry she cuts off all her hair in a fit of rage like I just felt like she was such a, a strong character and just like I felt like you really understood her in both senses right and when she's very immature and a kid and just like kind of living her life and doing crazy chaotic things and then when she's uh, Louise companion when she's you know 30 years have passed and she's obviously matured a lot um so to watch Claudia die in the arms of like her new uh like motherly companion and they really they just can't do anything they're just stuck right the sunlight's gonna kill them they have nowhere to go the fact that they built this like brick pit was just so awful like it was so hard to watch The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Yeah, and then they put Louis, sealed Louis into a wall upside down. I mean, just horrifying. That that whole see, that whole sort of sequence in Paris is very dark. It's very cruel. It's very, yeah, the feeling that's there exists in, in Louis and in Claudia um, and in the, the woman that she finds, but, but not in these old European... Uh, vampires that have lost any semblance of humanity uh, I think so it's interesting that it is there that Louis says that's the the last of my humanity um, Mm -hmm. went when I turned this woman Mm -hmm. and it's his gift to Claudia but his gift to Claudia is self-sacrifice which is a very parental kind of uh, thing to happen and then it's all for nothing so yeah I I, I, it's it's not um anti-European so much as that idea of old, ancient, tired, um, Mm -hmm. stuck. And that's why Louis, again, as I said before, that's why Louis appears to them, this kind of shining new world, the new idea of a vampire. But the new idea of a vampire is just them but not enjoying it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, it's like they've lived so long as vampires that like this is normal for them to be like sacrificing humans and like it's the way they eat so for them it's no different like than humans eating a piece of chicken you know for them it's the way they get their sustenance whereas louis is so just horrified by the whole thing um and claudia is kind of taught that it's fine and she's a kid so i don't know that how much you can actually fault her until she's a little you know has the maturity to kind of understand um but yeah it it is fascinating I will say that like the Paris part while it was like gorgeous 
to watch like the the actual theater troupe part of the movie I was like oh my gosh this is like so much like this is it was hard to watch at moments just because you go from them sacrificing a woman like literally on stage in front of people she's like completely nude never been more vulnerable in her entire life I'm sure um to then like Claudia and her new um caretaker being killed brutally and Louie being like you said stuck and upside down it's like all these series of events are so horrifying that they're like okay first we're gonna show you the like love and family and all of that and then we're gonna go straight into the horrifying details of what being a vampire actually is about mm-hmm. right yeah and then the fact that like I don't know Louie was given like an extra chance essentially and he like in like Antonio Banderas was basically like I can teach you all that you want to know and because he was like essentially assisting or came up with the plan um, of like kidnapping and killing Claudia so that he can have Louis to himself I thought that was it was pretty horrific, horrific too. And then, like, obviously, Louis is like, "Well, I'm not sticking around for you." Yes, um, and the fact that he thinks that Louis will will just come to him because he's mesmeric. Yeah, it's we'll like, be, no, yeah, no, we'll you, be okay with that. Yeah, it's very touching when he finds their the their remains. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think it just I, I I can't go without bringing up a couple more scenes of Kirsten Dunst. I mean, really, it cannot be underestimated. Her performance is incredible. Yeah. So there's a moment, and again, very charged, very erotic, where the two men and the little girl all look up at a window and there's a nude woman in a window washing herself, which is a very, it's an incredible, I mean, it happens in um, Witness as well, that idea of looking at a woman bathing. It's biblical too. People are punished and have their eyes pulled out for looking at women bathing. Um, But it's very erotic. They look and... Lestat said, oh, do you want her? And she says, I want to be her. And that's the beginning of her maturity and the beginning of her understanding that Mm -hmm. she won't grow up, that she won't ever have um, womanly parts. And, in fact, Lestat very cruelly um, says, basically says to her, you'll never have breasts, you'll never have those parts that that these women have. Um, And I love that you can see the thinking behind, um, behind the eyes there. And the other scene of hers that I absolutely adore is when she's trying to charm Lestat and she says, I've got you a present. And yes. she takes him through to the room. And then there's those two gorgeous little plump twin boys yeah. apparently asleep. I love when she's and like, oh, they're drunk. Like she's so yeah. manipulative in the best way. Well, we're happy because we we want her to escape from the start at this point. Mm-hmm. But if you think about what she does, she kills these two boys with laudanum, so that they they will be warm, but the blood will be dead, so that when Lestat drinks it, he will become uh, completely um, uh, destroyed. So, is this po- like a popular thing in vampire lore that you can't drink dead blood? I, I think it's a great convenience because it means if you were a moral vampire that didn't want to kill people, you could just go to a go to a graveyard. Oh, because that's kind of like what in the beginning. That's what I was thinking. Like especially with like the plague, I was like, I mean, nobody wants to drink plague blood. Plague blood but <laughs> at first, I was you. like, oh, like 
I thought that he was just like just gonna drink all the dead bodies from the plague. I, think, I was like, oh, that's pretty easy. Uh, so I don't know if this is a thing in in vampire pop culture. Um, but in my mind, the way it works is like, yes, you could like make an arrangement with a farm to get like you know animals to drink their blood to sustain you. But like in my head, human blood is what tastes the best. So it's probably the difference between eating a stick of beef jerky and filet mignon. And so the these like these vampires are kind of greedy right and so they want the best of the best and like I believe it was Lestat who says that oh the ones who were the worst taste the best or something like that at some point in the film um which I guess I don't know <laughs> you'd think it'd be the opposite that the more innocent you are the better your blood tastes because usually it's like oh you're, you're bad blood right um but I just uh, I spicier love that. spicier maybe if you're innocent you taste like van- oh, yeah. vanilla yeah maybe and you're, like you're a bit debauched yeah you're a bit spicy <laughs> I mean it's interesting because one of the great things that the that the the script does, and I believe that Neil Jordan had a lot to do uh, with the script, um, so you know, hard to know whose contribution was what, but it does give you the rules of the of this world of vampires, uh, you know, quite uh, efficiently, yeah. very early on and very naturally, so that um, when um, Christian Slater's Malloy says, "Oh, what about?" crucifixes and and louise's are quite like crucifixes and you know garlic is complete nonsense but sunlight you know does harm us and the stake through the heart is also nonsense so it gives you those rules and then when louis turned he gets a few more rules and i think the thing with vampires is that there's so much folklore you can sort of pick and choose uh, what you like for example they all reflect uh, in mirrors, which is a popular thing that vampires don't reflect. Yeah. And as yeah, you I said, that. the first time I saw it, when he put the, the, the cassette tape, kids ask your parents or your grandparents what a cassette tape is, <laughs> when he puts the cassette tape in the car stereo also, ask your parents, um, you do expect that the voice is not going to be there. But the thing is that the film has taught us that they do reflect right. so why also would they not um yeah would they so not? like they don't mind crucifixes he quite likes them he, he thinks they're pleasant looking. <laughs> pleasant to look at you know yeah. and let's, okay. let's remember that a crucifix is not a cross a cross is just the the cross like a plus sign mm-hmm. with a longer stem a crucifix has the tortured body of a man nailed to it yeah he quite likes right. them he finds right. them pleasant catholics what are you like? I, what, yeah, what is that about? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, apparently, a stake through the heart does not necessarily kill them, but they do need to sleep in coffins. Oh, yeah. That was the other thing I did want to bring up is I thought it was very sweet, although a little strange. I'm not a parent. I should start by preface by saying that um, when uh, Louis and Claudia kind of you know, she'll go in her own coffin and then she'll kind of sneak out, scurry out and get into his coffin. Very like a child in the morning, you know, going to cuddle up with mom or dad in the bed. And I I just thought that was like a very sweet touch, right? Where like, despite them being vampires, she still is a child and she still wants that companionship, that love, that warmth. Um, so I loved that. So I don't know if the movie The Orphan has like permanently ruined me. <laughs> But if you don't know, okay, um, spoilers, spoilers. Um, So the orphan has a little girl in it and the entire movie. It's a little girl. They adopted this little girl and she 
starts doing weird things and she's very cuddly with the dad. And then the twist at the end, once again, spoiler alert, is that's a really like a 40 year old woman. And a lot of what she's doing with the dad it was perceived as sexual, but he kept like pushing it oh away and be like, gosh. no, it's just a kid. It's just a kid. But she was attracted to this man that was her adopted father. And for me, this movie skated the line of this is my daddy and this is my daddy, <laughs> if you know what I mean. And I felt like there was times where it almost went there, but didn't quite. And I was just waiting for that other shoe to drop where it's like going to turn and be like disturbing. And of course, yeah, there's the there, infamous think. kiss, but the infamous kiss wasn't very sexually charged in my in because the the scene that happens is that they both they said that okay we're even like you turned me and I took away the last part of humanity and you were even and she was thinking that she was gonna leave and then of course mid kiss she they all get kidnapped and snatched by the vampire crew the the theater crew so did you guys feel that as well? Or was I kind of reading into something that wasn't really there? No, I think, you know, in her later years yeah. when she's a, a grown-up woman, she does refer to him as my beloved and he calls her my beloved. So there's a very uh, partner-esque um, but not necessarily lover-esque uh, air to them. No longer um, father and daughter but rather you know, the loves of each other's lives, companions, yeah. and strangely less sexual than, than when she was, you know, having a good old suck when she was 12. Um, and I think the kiss is very interesting, not just because, you know, of, of her own feelings about, about kissing Brad Pitt, but it's one of the most chaste moments of this, you know, movies redolent with sensuality and sexuality. Mm-hmm. It's the sealing of this bargain. They're going to part and it's the first time that we've sort of seen that that kind of thing where she she kisses him on the lips. And, yes, it's interrupted, but you feel it's not a great big open mouth and a frenzy of darting tongues. It's, in fact, just this case chased kiss on the lips to seal the bargain and to say goodbye like a, yeah, in yeah, a goodbye. very particular yeah. way that they haven't before. So, no, I don't think you're wrong at all. I think there there's a shift yeah. as she ages um, to to just, you know, being each other's loves, really. Yeah, I think the word companion is just on point for this entire movie, right? Like, they always call them companions, and I feel like they're companions in more ways than one. Because if you think about it, if you if you are someone's companion, but you're both immortal, like, you're going to mentally age, and you're going to age out of whatever that relationship started out as, right? Like, mother-daughter, father-daughter type of thing turns into maybe a mentor-mentee, turns into maybe lovers down the line you know what I mean there's so many facets of these companions um especially considered how many pairings we have in this film there's tons of them there's Louis and Lisette and there's Lisette and Claudia Lisette and you know there's so many um that I think it's and they all have different types of relationships to each other they all kind of have this underlying like um I mean, they, they all have that in common, that they're all they're all immortal and they're all living this particular life and they feel like they can't do it alone, um, which is interesting to think about mm-hmm. because I feel like in some versions you would have a vampire who's like, I'm so, especially like a Louis type of vampire where they're like, I'm so disgusted by who I am 
that I don't want anybody to see me, right? I don't, I don't want anybody to look at me. I don't want anybody to know what I'm doing. Um, but instead, it's more of a, I need to find my people. I need to find my group that understands me and can teach me their ways because I knew it. it. Um, that was something I just thought was fascinating from the movie. And we did talk about this in the beginning. But just the fact that this is 1994 and we do have like gender does not matter in this film. It doesn't matter at all. They're all companions mm-hmm. to one another, despite the fact that like it wasn't a common thing to have, you know, gay relationships, erotic gay relationships on your screen. Um, 94. That was something that I really enjoyed about the movie that like was like, wow, we talk a lot on the podcast about how stuff doesn't age well or like this is never a joke that we would be made in 2021. But this is something that is like, wow, this is progressive for its time. And I really loved that about it. Uh, it's progressive for now. If you think of these uh, two or indeed, um, you know, three with Christian Slater, um, uh, you know, uh, very masculine presenting yeah. uh, film stars at the at, in the bloom of their youth, you know, and uh, Antonio Banderas slightly older but nonetheless the same, and that they gave themselves over so completely mm-hmm. to this um you know i keep saying erotic and sensual but it's exactly what this film is it's um and and you think the they don't hold back any of them and i think it's true when you say what doesn't hold up it's very hard to it's very hard to see what doesn't hold up now i mean i think mm-hmm. people be slightly more horrified that kiki's only 12 like literally only 12, yeah. not just a, a 15-year-old girl, even though that's... And I think in the book she was even younger. She's six in the book. Oof. So, yep. yeah. you know, so Anne Rice's dreams must be quite extraordinary. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, uh, I mean, I just, I love this director. I love um, the, the look of this film. I love the costumes. Um, yeah, the costumes are gorgeous. It's, it's... It's just, it's fabulous. Yeah. Fabulous is one of my, one of the words that we used to say then and I shall say it now. Yeah, it's, it has a very distinct look and feel is how I felt. Because again, this is, in in the wiki article, it says it's a gothic horror film. Yeah. Which like, there is a lot of gore, right? Like if you watch this film, you know, there's a lot of blood, whether it looks real or not, I'll leave up to everybody else. But there's a lot of blood in the film, but like, it's not it's not going to jump scare you. I mean, maybe the end will stop, but like the mo- most of the film is not there to scare you. It is not there to make you frightened. Probably not there to give you nightmares. Mm-hmm. It may or may not give you nightmares, but it's not really the point of the movie. And so I feel like they really I, I feel like it gothic is probably the, the more appropriate word for it. Yeah, because it's a whole yeah. vibe about this movie. Exactly. Um, and Sarah, I know exactly. you must have loved the fashion because like. It's oh, so, yeah. like, um, I, just intricate, I guess, is the word I would use. Yeah, I mean, it was extremely detailed. Um, and obviously, we're dealing with historical fashion from different eras, going from the 1700s all the way up to the 80s mm-hmm. and 90s. So a lot of centuries were represented, um, even paying close attention from a 1700 garb to an 1800 garb to a 1900 garb. Like, you know, there's absolutely differences. And even, you know, to the hairstyles as well, there's different hairstyles that were popular in all these years. And then, of course, we have, 
you know, American fashion versus, versus Parisian fashion. So it's all very, very intricate, very detailed. Going back to the genre, I think the genre I would categorize it as gothic drama, and I would put it in the same camp as Beetlejuice, Edward Scissorhands, yeah. The Addams Family, even like Batman Returns, like all of these like gothic, they're not quite horror films, they're gothic dramas. Um, so, uh, and they all have this distinct look to them, Sleepy Hollow, The Craft. Um, I And so it, it's... All movies that high school Sarah was very into because I I fancied myself um a like not a little like a baby emo and it was mainly because I was emotional a baby emo. but like is that a baby emo is that a bemo yeah <laughs> a bemo yeah I was really yeah, you had feeling this, my you had Johnny the, uh, side bangs. In oh, the eyes yeah. with the eyeliner on the I on did. the waterline and all on the bottom on the lash line. line. Yep, yeah. <laughs> yep. That's what I was doing. Black when I was nail in polish high on, good to go. <laughs> <sighs> so I mean, it was a sad, sad moment, but um, <laughs> yeah, like it's this. You know, of course, the sets were extremely detailed. It was a gorgeous movie. Um, I I I really enjoyed those elements of it and I think in terms of like being recognized by the academy those were the categories that they were nominated for and I think they might have won something maybe uh, maybe not Oscar uh, nominations um, for best the- art direction and best original score Kirsten Dunst was nominated for a Golden Globe for best supporting actress for her role I don't see that they won anything though I think they were just nominated Oh, I mean, it's an honor to be it's nominated. It's an honor just to be nominated. Especially, I think that, like, if I was going to give anyone a nomination, like, I I think the uh, the nod would go to Kirsten Dunst. I just think that she was so impressive. And even forgetting she's a child actress, right, at the time, even put her next to Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt, and she holds her own in an amazing way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Acting her yeah. heart out. Yeah. I mean, we haven't mentioned the music, but the the music also got a nomination for um, um, Elliot Goldenthal, and it is the music is fantastic, or the original music, and then going to that Stone Sympathy for the Devil at the end is just that was brilliant. it was so cool. It was so so cool. Although it's not the um, Stone also, singing it, I have uh, I knew I used to know who it was, but um, is yeah, it Black Sabbath. Who is it? It's a Stone song, but it was a more contemporary. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, band i'll look that up while we yeah i also loved in that scene where um once lasad take took over the wheel and he was listening to the tape he was like louie 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 still whining after all <laughs> sarah really years. loved that she was like i'm so tired of him whining <laughs> okay because so it was okay so like you know uh, you guys know us. We like to talk about astrology once in a while. Just, just a, a smidge. little bit. <laughs> like, if Louie was not, like, a, like, triple Pisces, then I don't know. Actually, I think I decided 
Pisces sun, Cancer moon, because he loves a family mm-hmm. element. And he's like a homebody. But definitely like Pisces rising. And then definitely Pisces Venus. And probably like he was so all water, which is so ironic considering how much he loved fire and setting fire to all of his fancy homes. Oh, that was the other thing. When he set fire to their first fancy home and like Lestat was like, you just... You, like, ruined all of our stuff. Now look where we are. We're in the cemetery. Like, what are we going to do now? (laughs) Like, just, like, whenever Tom Cruise just, like, acted out about, like, whatever fancy-ass thing that he was, like, complaining about, I was living for it. (laughs) Like, whenever he was, like... He's like, who's going to do your dresses now? And like all this is so funny whenever he was acting like a little prima donna. I was living for it. And it's interesting that 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 uh, mansion house home, Hacienda, was still in that old burnt state when <laughs> he found Lestat in 1988. Why didn't it get yeah. plowed? Because who owns it? Louis still owns it. Louis Stones, he's like, nope, nobody can bulldoze my crusty crusty bird down house. Um, It's uh, Guns N' Roses who sing that. Yeah, it's a Stone song, but I knew it was a cover. Yes. Uh, Just like perfection. Um, Very, very 90s. Oh my gosh, I just saw on the wiki, it says on June 24th, 2021, AMC announced a television adaptation of Interview with the Vampire, giving a series order consisting of eight episodes. It's going to be created by Ro- Roland or Ro- I think it's Roland Jones, who is expected to executive produce alongside Mark Johnson and Rice and Christopher Rice. Oh, she yeah, she, she's involved. She, she has to. She has. I love to do that. It. I so think this you, is coming. You see your product, like you want to be involved in the creative storytelling oh, yeah. of your own, you know, work. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I wonder how it will. Uh, it's almost like. Um, it might work as a series better because then that episodic nature of of eight episodes would be yes. like this chapters, this bit, then this yeah. bit. chapters. Yeah. Anything about cast? I mean, I, the cast was amazing, right? Like, I, oh, oh, you mean on this? On this? No, no yeah, the, new the new cast. cast. I'm yeah. not seeing anything. Um, I'm gonna search. I'm gonna search a little bit more though, because this was just at like the a bottom Johnny of the wiki. I'm gonna propose a uh, a theory for you guys. Ooh. What would you say if I told you? Let's a, a little think piece. Interview with a vampire is actually about the horrors of domestic life. <laughs> now, if you think about it. <laughs> If you think about it, we have a couple, a new couple that has found each other, Lissette and Louis, and there starts to be resentment. And Louis feels like he got dragged into something that he didn't totally agree with. I love this. Now we have like, okay, so there's a disagreement and Louis wants to leave. But Lissette is like, let's have a kid. That will fix everything. (laughs) Right? That happens all the times with couples. But then the kid, like when you have a kid, it doesn't fix everything. More problems start showing. So then Lissat is like acting out. And then Louis and Claudia is like, we got to get going. And then, of course, Lissat like freaks out about that. And it's like, don't leave. You can't leave. It's like they're trapped. So then they like really go. And then guess who pops up later? It's it's literally a story about marriage. You're completely divine. What about going after each other's exes, though? That's kind of fun. <laughs> yeah. yeah like, Armand. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's, like, twisted. 
Yeah, that's twisted. Like, oh, I'll ha- I'll hook up with your ex. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I did see. Um, I I found who's playing Lestat. Um, and it's actually an Australian actor. Um, Sam Reed is who's slated to play Lestat in the new AMC series. Um, apparently, it's going to be the first season is going to be later this year. Um, and on AMC and its sister streamer AMC Plus oh, in 2022. Oh. Uh. Five ninety nine a month, I'm sure. Yeah, oh, that. Yeah, he he uh, fits yeah. the bill. Sarah just showed us a picture of who this kid is. Yeah, he's blonde, blue eyed, very pale. Um, chiseled. Yeah, he was in Foxtel's Lambs of God. Um, <gasps> he was in a four part SBS series, The Hunting. Uh, I haven't seen any yeah. of these, but SBS is one of our. Um, one of our television networks uh, it stands for Sex Before Soccer. Oh, uh, no, it's I'm sorry, it's Special Broadcasting Services. Oh, I believed you oh, fully. Oh. Um, also, I know we call it we call okay. it Sex Before Soccer because it had all had you know European films and subtitled things. Oh. It's um it's diversity. Um, it, its charter is is diversity. So they're all the kind of the sexy European films that show a bit of tit, uh, and then you watch soccer. So. I I, I know that. who's going to be Claudia as well. Um, Bailey Bass uh, has been tapped to star as Claudia. She um, we're getting some diversity at the very least because she's not white. Um, and I'm just looking to see. She looks older. Like she's certainly not as young as Kristen Dunst was. Um, mm-hmm. But it says she was in the Avatar sequels. Apparently, oh, she's gorgeous. Uh, yeah, she's beautiful. Oh, she was in, at age 13, she was in James Cameron's Avatar sequels 2 and 3. And then, oh, apparently she guest starred on, she guest starred on Law and Order SVU. Um, oh, well. Well, her and everybody her else. And everybody else. <laughs> yeah. 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 So. Um, I mean, yeah. I, I, I would be very surprised if they cast a 12-year-old in um, 2021. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curi- most yeah. curious to know, though, I want to know who's playing um, who's playing Louie. I'm going to see if I can find that because that's interesting. I know I have to check this out. I feel like I now I want to know. Yeah, I want to know how this looks in, in television form. Oh, here we go. Mm. Game. Oh, oh, my gosh. He's from Game of Thrones. Uh, Ooh. Jacob Anderson is Ew. going to play Louie. He um, I'm trying to think of his character's name from Game of Thrones. Uh, Grey Worm. So another non-white cast mes- cast member. Oh, neat! Great. Yeah, and he is gorgeous. Yeah, he's gorgeous. Oh. So makes perfect sense. I re- like they obviously want very attractive people for um, these vampire roles. I'd imagine. And there's no look. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I'm not complaining. No. O- only hot vampires. <laughs> only, only hot vampires. I mean, has there ever been? I mean, I'm sure there has, but, like, I love to speculate. Has there ever been, like, an unsexy vampire in any pop culture situation? Um, Buffy, some of some of the, uh, the mm. vampires in Buffy, when they turn, are a little unpleasant. Mm-hmm. But um, they're, they're kind of human faces. Are just, well, it's television. Um, I just wanted to mention this is something probably one of the sort of um, things that everybody knows about the casting was that River Phoenix was uh, not only supposed to play Molo, but, in fact, they had already started uh, filming with him when he died um and while i can see like some of the other alternate casting that we've talked about i can i can see i wonder um whether because it's hard it's hard again to know like while we were watching river at the time and he was this becoming this huge star i mean he was quite extraordinary and 
um, magnetic and and we loved watching him and he was really good in everything. Um, I wonder if he would have had too much of the Louis in him, too much of the sort of reflective, slightly melancholic in him. The great thing about Christian Slater, I mean, I love Christian Slater. Enthusiasm mm -hmm. is his kind of watchword, certainly when he was a young man. All his roles are incredibly enthusiastic and he brings that kind of – he's got the fresh haircut. He doesn't have the long hair. So if he gets turned into a vampire, he's going to have short hair. Um, he oh, has that's a serious no-no. That's a serious no-no. He'll have to wear wigs. Um, <laughs> but what, what, do, what, what's your, what do you know of River Phoenix? What is he to you? Gosh, like I'm trying to rem think of what I would know him best from. Um, Stand by me. So just ha ju yeah, just hasn't seen Stand by. I haven't me. seen that yet, but I know Ooh. I know who he is. Like I know mm -hmm. about him. I obviously I know his name. I know what he looks like. So like, yeah. I mean, he's a gorgeous another again another gorgeous guy that could have been in the movie. Um, I probably do know him best from Stand by Me, despite not having seen it. Like I feel like that's probably well. This is the thing. Out. It's in the it's in the culture. It's in the air. Um, I think too the other the other thing about Christian Slater is I mean he's handsome but he's handsome he's a very contemporary face, mm -hmm. whereas Brad Pitt, River Phoenix, um, uh, Tom Cruise, I wouldn't have thought but ended up having a, a kind of you can see them in a period drama yeah and that's the freshness I think of Christian Slater is he has a very very contemporary face it is partly the haircut but it's also just the structure of him he looks very American yeah uh, which the the others don't so much. So, you know, I personally feel as though River Phoenix, just looking at like his look, I feel as though perhaps he auditioned for Louis and did not get it and then was offered the role of Malloy. I think that's what makes sense to me because he looks as though he is a Brad Pitt type. You know how in Hollywood they're like, I want a Brad Pitt yeah. type. There is River Phoenix. Yeah. I mean, obviously yeah, a gorgeous exactly. guy, right? Like. Come on. You're right. So maybe, uh, in my opinion, he could have been like a, a, a secondary option for Louis. And then when they settled on Brad Pitt, then perhaps they offered him a different role. Uh, yeah, and that's probably how they their, landed there. And in terms of their sort of ranking in Hollywood, probably much the same, you know, rising, strong, uh, mm -hmm. <clears throat> leading men. Yeah. 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 Now, I think, I don't know, like this movie going into it, I really didn't have very high expectations. Again, I'm you see the you see the you see horror and that is just not my thing. I'm very much I stick to my lane, you know, like I know what my lane is and I stay there and I don't venture into the spooky, scary stuff most of the time. Um, but it just it impressed me like just with how full and rich it was and not at all like this isn't gonna give me nightmares you know like it's not the type of movie I think <laughs> I think that like the poster for it um and the fact that it has vampires I think is kind of what leads you to believe like it's going to be one specific thing um but then you even like you even look deeper into the poster right and it's like it's Tom Cruise like looking or not Tom Cruise I'm sorry wait is it it is Tom Cruise isn't it the poster's Tom Cruise it's, yeah, yeah but it interestingly enough like he looks more like sensual in in this pose on the poster and it's just like that's actually what the movie is you know it's about love and loss and companionship um and they're vampires uh versus you know it's it's all about the vampireness of it all like a like a twilight type of nonsense monster that that is um and I really liked it and like I could see myself watching this movie again because 
I think because of its richness, you miss things, right? And it is silly and there are moments that are like funny and not like laugh out loud funny, but like the the Claudia scenes where she's flipping out or, you know, when she tricks Lestat, it's like, yes, get him. Um, <laughs> but it definitely was a better movie than I expected it to be. And I'm happy we were, we watched it and I'm happy that like, I'm like opening myself up to new movies. That's what I love about doing the podcast is like revisiting some nostalgic things for myself, but then like opening myself up to things that like I didn't experience when it came out. You know, I was very young in 1994. I wouldn't have seen this movie. My parents would have been like, I would have been taken away from my parents if they brought me to see this movie in 1994. Um, but I'm happy I watched it. I felt like it was a, a good film. What about you, Sarah? How do you how do you feel watching this, having watched this for the first time? So for me, I it's kind of interesting. I didn't have that much expectations going into it. Um, I feel as though this movie has actually grown on me throughout the day. So while watching it, it was a very like... I don't know what's happening here. And like, I feel as though like, um, honestly, like everything was happening. I'm like, I have no clue. And then throughout the day, I kind of just simmered on it and thought about it. And it grew on me throughout the day. And I started appreciating like how big this world is and um, like all the fine details. And I started like, you know, thinking about certain things that I really liked about it. And although I felt like I came out of a fever dream, um, ultimately I landed on like this is a type of movie that you need to watch like a few times to really understand and like appreciate all the fine details of it. Um, And of course, like I said, like I think the ending was spectacular. So I really like liked I really liked that. Um, There was a lot of like like I said, like I think I was less of a fan of the frat bro situation. Everything with Claudia, I really liked. Um, I was like perplexed by the theater group. But then going back, it's just like it's just like an adventure. Like this dude, like we saw him live 200 years of life. And it's like, you know what? I'm glad that he went on an adventure. It's much better than just like sitting at home and drinking rap blood. Like, drinking rap <laughs> rap love like i'm glad that he went on this light of life adventure and like he wasn't wasting his time playing like softball with the other vampires <laughs> the vampires <laughs> um, yeah um so no like i definitely like i've grown even today i've grown in appreciation for this mm-hmm. movie i think the conversation awesome. helped like understand some of the like deeper implications of the movie and talking through it also Mm -hmm. kind of made me appreciate it even more for what it was because it isn't just a horror film it's not even really a horror film there's so much more to it and so I think talking through it and the performances and the meaning behind everything really makes you appreciate Mm -hmm. it more yeah Sarah I'm curious like did you take Anything new from your newest rewatch this time around? Oh, that's a really good question. Uh, I mean, one of the extraordinary, I haven't seen it for a few years, but one of the extraordinary things is like how uh, how much I knew it. Like I knew certain scenes, mm-hmm. certain looks, even a glass on the table or um, a line like evil is a point of view, which I absolutely love. Um, I love the humour in it. I'd forgotten the humour. I think I'd everything else was sort of a glorious, warm bath of memory. And I remember, I do remember seeing it the first time in the in the cinema. And the progressiveness of the sexuality. I, I don't want to say that it was the norm, 
but it wasn't as surprising as you might think looking back to the old days mm-hmm. um and in fact you know the, the the horror that that tom cruise was going to play the role meant that we were expecting it to have that kind of air to it but what i i and i think each time i watch it i forget the humor in it when he pushes aside the dead piano teacher and has to teach the piano uh himself and his his annoyance at that i mean lestat is just brilliant lestat is our sort of raging id that just does whatever it wants and there's something very very attractive about that uh while also being absolutely exhausting to live with Mm -hmm. so i like that he comes and goes while he's the more attractive let's say in terms of personally attractive character you can't have him the whole time or he would uh drive you mad as he mm-hmm. does to his partners and I was less frustrated with Louis I think than I've been in the past you know I think I've always thought well just go outside stand in the sun but there was he has such a an understanding of his own tragedy that uh that I really appreci- appreciated this time and something that I that I reflect on and I haven't thought about before is the moment before he meets Lestad, he is about to be killed by the pimp. So a mugger? Yeah. Well, oh, no, he takes oh, yeah. the prostitute out of the bar. Right. She goes to her knees in the classic fashion, and we see her pimp has followed, uh, and he's getting out the knife, and then the pimp whoosh, disappears off the screen, mm-hmm. uh, which is a wonderful sort of introduction to Lestad. But it also means that, that you know, he had a moment where it wasn't a choice, that he could have died. Um, but in fact, he he goes to the arms of um, Lestat. And while I don't think subscribe to the theory that there's one person for everyone, I love the theme of um, people who are meant to be together mm-hmm. in in literature and film and operas, of course, um, and plays. So it's that these two um, are bound together in some way, are meant to be together mm-hmm. in some way, and yet cannot be. Yeah. So that's. I like that um, that push pull that we see there, and we see you know repeated in in, mm-hmm. in so many other movies, um, and it's a fascinating thing. You know, it'd be exhausting to live through, but it's wonderful to vicariously um, follow. So I was thrilled that when you asked me what I would like to do, and I was very happy that you liked the movie. Yes, thank you so much for coming on, Sarah. This was truly a joy, and I think that like. I mean, usually this is our second year covering some Halloween content, and we usually stick to the more nostalgic, lighthearted um, Halloween movies, more for children probably than right, like, like more, Halloween Town, more and, like a child. Yeah, yes. Focused. We did Casper and Halloween Town last yeah, year. Yeah, but at the same time, I think that like this has shown me that like no, we can like we can cover this type of movie and like I can feel satisfied with it. Like I can find as long as it's not like gore for gore's sake, right? Like not gratuitous in a way that is just like completely unrealistic or unnecessary. Um, I, I enjoyed it, and I think that like this movie has like talking it through really has made me enjoy it even more than I did watching it today. Um, and I'm just so pleased, Sarah, that you came on because it was it's always a joy to talk to you. And I'm just and, like, oh, your you. input is just so valuable. And you always just have such like insightful things to say. So I'm so pleased just that you came stop. on. Stop. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I'll take my flowers. Actually, no, I should take my flowers. Yes. <laughs> I'm glad we made the time zones work in our favor. <laughs> oh, of course. Of course. But, I, you know, I can I can do it at one. I can I can be this uh, entertaining at one in the morning as well. So, so don't, don't worry about that. <laughs> 
Uh, Sarah, do you want to give the people a little bit of a tease of what we have coming up in November for our bonus content? I don't know how we want to tease it. Do we want to say we're doing another like themed month? Yeah, we're doing another actor focused themed month. Um, So two movies one actor, uh, well, multiple actors. There's a lot of actors. In, <laughs> in multiple just not, movies. It's not like a one-woman show. Um, but, yeah, so uh, stay tuned. We're really excited for that. Um, of course, we have our weekly Dawson's Creek and Boy Meets World content. Um, so uh, earlier in the month, if you missed it, we did Halloween Town 2, uh, which was a lot of fun. Um, yeah, you can catch us at Shit90sPod on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, we have a website, www.shit90sPod.com. Uh, Sarah, what are you up to these days? What, where can we find you? What, what are you up to? Where are you going? Oh, it's a wonderful question. And you can find me out in the podcasting streets. I've uh, been talking about wrestling with Matt and Mari, which was amazing. Uh, I know absolutely nothing about it, but nonetheless, <laughs> I was able to speak about it for three and a half hours. Um, I did uh, a show, a little show with Jess oh called God. Community Building. I had so much fun mm-hmm. there. And I've already put my bid in for season um, three. Yes. And um, I did a sort of follow-up Married at First Sight. I did episode two with uh, Amy and Asia. And then they asked me back for episode 13 where things had taken a very dark turn. So we were able to open all of that. That show is so much fun. Everyone should check out Married at First Sight because it is just like, if you like 90 Day Fiance, watch Married at First Sight because it's a very like similar vibe. It's bonker. You will have an opinion. And um, whether you watch it or not, you should listen to uh, Asia and Amy uh, break it down every week because they are fantastic and insightful and wonderful, wonderful women. And I have a new project, which I can't talk about. So I too can tease, not just you, I too can tease, um, be able to talk about that very soon. But I am very excited. (laughs) All exciting Yay, stuff. Yeah. I love teasers for things. It's like yeah. gets me like and so you, excited. <laughs> if you want to follow me, you can follow me at Sarah Carradine on Twitter. Amazing. Um, thank you so much for coming on, Sarah. As always, you can find me um at the Jess Sterling on Twitter. Um, I'm also like Sarah mentioned on community building, um, as well as the succession podcast over at Post Show Recaps. We've just started, so definitely go give that a listen. Um, the the premiere of season three was amazing, and I'm just so excited for what's in store for this season. Um, so go give that a listen as well. And uh, thank you everybody for joining us for the spooky month of October. So excited for everything coming up in November. We will talk to you all next time. Have a good one, everybody. Bye. Goodbye, sweet prince. <laughs> Say goodbye to the light. Just ask. Shit 90 shows taught me. 